FYI, and I don't mean fake news, this podcast contains huge spoilers. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 406 of the podcast that goes snicked. I'm your host, Jason, the Raging Cajun Gajun Venable, and this is a special flashback episode as we say sayonara to Mark Silvestri. These are his last issues of Wolverine, and the last issues of Marvel for a long, long time. Um, you know, I think, I think, I could be wrong, there could be some other stuff that he kind of comes back and does as guest spots or whatever. The most notable Marvel work he would do is uh, the uh, famous, uh, <coughs> I think it's like, oh shoot, what's that story called where uh, you draw a sexy Wolverine in the jeans and the cowboy hat? Uh, a new X-Men, I can't remember. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, he, he's going to be gone for quite a while. He's uh, about to take off to start Cyberforce for Image Comics, which if you want to hear all about the beginnings of that, definitely check out All the Pouches, uh, hosted by friend of the show, John Wilson, uh, to hear about Sylvester's beginnings in the Image Comics revolution. But before he can do that, he's got to draw his last story arc Wolverine and it's a doozy. Um, it packs quite a punch. So I guess with, without further ado, we'll just get right into it. Um, we're going to cover overall um, Wolverine issues 55 to 59. Um, Sylvester's last, last issue is 57 and then we'll do just a couple of more uh, after that. So, Wolverine. I'm kind of, I'm kind of bummed. This, this, this story arc this Sylvester does is kind of sad for different, multiple reasons. Um, you know, what happens in the story, and then of course Sylvester leaving. Um, and I think I would put Sylvester on my Wolverine Mount Rushmore. Uh, I'll. I'll be thinking about that, and I'll tweet about it later because we're also pretty close to Jim Lee leaving X-Men, and he's probably on there too, so maybe after he leaves I can talk about maybe who I think goes on there, and you guys can can agree, disagree, offer your own suggestions. Um, and talking strictly pencilers, um, not I don't, I don't know. I, you can maybe argue you want to make him out Rushmore of all anyone that works on the character, right? I think um, just pencilers. Sylvester is definitely in the top four as far as most important. Um, you know, and I, I would say for me personally, probably up there with my favorites as well, but definitely most influential. Um, his imprint on the character is undeniable. He, between Uncanny X-Men and Wolverine solo book, he drew quite a bit of them. And we'll, we'll talk maybe a little bit more about my overall 
impressions um, after we get to his last issue. We're going to start off with Wolverine number 55, which is 30 Slashes Over Tokyo or Sayonara Yellow Brick Road. And this, of course, is written by Larry Hama, pencils by Mark Silvestri, inks by Dan Green, uh, coloring by Steve Buccioletto, and lettering by Pat Brousseau. So remember, we've had a couple issues in between, but the last time we really talked about uh, Hammer's story was um, the Crunch Conundrum, and at the end of that, Jubilee rode a motorcycle through time and landed in Tokyo and got arrested, and so she calls Wolverine, and so Wolverine and Gambit are coming to Tokyo to bail her out of jail, reclaim his motorcycle, etc. So kind of that's where we are. Um, so on the cover here, we have a uh, white background and then lots of action. We have introducing the madness of Scylla and Wolverine is fighting Scylla in the forefront. And then Jubilee is also kind of diving at her. And then Gambit is fighting an armored guy who we will find out is a redesign for Sunfire. And then behind all that, there's a plethora of hand ninjas. Um, oh, it's a pretty good cover. I think, I think it's so busy that the white background kind of needed to be blank. Because if you have all the figures and all the action and then also a bunch of detail in the back, it would have been a little bit too busy maybe. But anyway, I uh, end the issue. Wolverine and Gambit try to fly to Japan to get Jubilee, but uh, hijinks ensue at airport security. Uh, this also flags Logan and that old pesky shield search program that Hydra is monitoring, um, which causes some mysterious crates to also be sent to Tokyo. So Jubilee has a scuffle with a hand teenager in jail which, like, part of their street gang, I guess? <laughs> I, I guess I remember a time vaguely when the Hand Ninja had just, like, street toughs that went around and recruited and did petty crime for them. Uh, so this is one of them. Um, anyway, uh, Wolverine and Gambit catch a, a rough cab who uh, takes them on a shortcut to Ninja Car Wash. Uh, they take care of the Robo Hand Ninjas, uh, I think it's the same ones from X-Factor uh, that Portacea was drawn. Um, anyway, in short order, and proceed to the police station. Uh, Mariko, who we haven't seen in a while, um, actually, she was in those same X-Factor issues, and then also uh, was in a recent issue right before this of New Warriors, where the New Warriors went to Japan, um, and, and tried to enlist some of her aid. Um, anyway, uh, Mariko assures the Hand that Logan is not in Japan to interfere uh, because the Hand are trying to ne negotiate with Mariko to to take over uh, her dealings in the underworld, which of course, if you remember, she's trying to purge from Clan Yashida uh, so that she can then get on with her life, including hopefully marrying Logan. So. But she, she assures the Hand that that Logan is not... He didn't catch wind in this negotiation. He's not here to mess things up 
we're going to put a stop to the hand. She doesn't know why it's here, but it, it's probably not that. She promises. <laughs> uh, so Wolverine and Gambit arrive at the police station just in time to find out that Jubilee has been transferred to a facility for minors. Uh, the police also accuse Logan of not paying duty on his shipment. When she's like, huh? Um, meanwhile, in the police van, Reiko, remember her? Um, she was the, uh, she was blinded by the hand. Um, and that whole story with the guy with the, the spider face tattoo. Remember when, uh, Wolverine was fighting the Yakuza? Um, uh, John Wilson came on and talked about those episodes. They were, they were pretty good. Um, anyway, she attempts to kill Jubilee to pay her debt to the hand. And back at the station, a cyborg pops out of Logan's alleged crate. Um, Sunfire and War Ninja also show up. Scylla, who is the cyborg, uh, one of Pierce's cyborg, attacks. Reiko attacks. The hand attack Gambit and Sunfire. And fight, fight, fights. All three of them. Um, then Jubilee mentions Wolverine's claws. And Reiko realizes that that's Patch. And she's indebted to Patch. So she spares Jubilee and flees. Knowing that the hand will be after her. And at the very end, Yukio shows up. To rescue or aid Jubilee. So. The story's kind of a mess. But it's really, really fun. Um couple of highlights. Um, I really like the height difference Sylvester draws between Wolverine and Gambit. Uh, so there's, I talked about hijinks at the uh, airport security. Uh, obviously his adamantium sets off the metal detectors and they keep asking him to remove his luggage and articles of clothing and he's eventually down to just his cowboy hat, cowboy boots, X-Men boxers, and cigar. <laughs> And finally convinces them to x-ray his arm. And they see the, the knives in his arm. But he claims it. Um, and they, they tell him that he cannot fly. Uh, but anyway, there's a scene where he's trying to get his pants back on. And Gambit's behind him. And is easily like a foot taller. I kind of enjoyed that. Um, yeah, so they tell, they tell him he can't fly. Uh, then we see our mysterious leader of Hydra activating the cyborg after she gets the flag um, from Wolverine's name. Um, let's see, what else? It's just fun. It's fun stuff. It's kind of silly. And now I apologize. I was thinking when I read my notes that these were the cyborg ninjas from X-Factor. They're just regular cyborg ninjas. They're not those particular characters. Um, yeah, it's fun to see Gambit and Wolverine kind of getting along and and doing stuff together. Um, that was fun. And then, um, let's see. We have a, a poker card uh, pun as uh, Gambit's like, uh, so, so they, the, the taxi cab has been bribed by the hand and he takes Gambit and Logan to this car wash where the ninjas all come out of the, the woodworks and try to fight our heroes in close quarters and uh, they're fighting the car and trying to get to our X-Men and um, uh, 
Wolverine says, I'm opening with a pair of trays, Gambit, which is his three claws. That's six claws to you. And Gambit says, I call. And Wolverine says, what you holding? And Gambit's like, Fool House, ace is over. Blows him away. And from the hand? They sure ain't from the foot, which I thought was really nice. Um, of course, the Foot Clan from uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was a nod to the hand from Marvel. Uh, similar kind of brainless ninja cronies. Um, so I like that not only is it kind of a joke, like, oh, that you can make even without that knowledge, right? Oh, are they the hand? No, they're the foot. I mean, it's kind of a typical, like, <laughs> like no, they're the opposite. But also, it's a nice um, kind of pun or callback to uh, what the Foot Clan from Ninja Turtles, which I really enjoyed. That was really fun. Um, yeah, so what else in this issue? I mean, it's really not whole lot that jumps out. I mean, the art's really good. As usual, well, we see Matt Zero show up. Uh, he's leading the hand at this point. Um, he's kind of been a thorn in the X-Men side recently. Um, but yeah. Uh, Sunfire. Sunfire design. That may may have also been an X-Factor. I can't remember. It looks like a Portatio design. Uh, Silvestri draws it really well, but it looks like Portatio. Like with the bladed shoulder pads and stuff. I, I think the idea is that there's like solar panels in his armor. So that's why he has the armor um, to, you know, further enhance his solar powers. Um, I mean, it's an interesting look. I prefer his mer Japanese merman costume personally. But it definitely looks more. It looks more 90s like Ninja Samurai, right? And so that's probably what they're going for, and that that works to that degree. Um, Scylla, or Scylla, or I don't know how you say it, is very much a Cyberforce prototype. Uh, she has the uh, the metal banding that shortcut for Cyborg in the 90s, or even probably the 80s too. You know, I think you know Colossus has the metal banding. Deathlock had it. Um, Sylvester will use the hell out of that in Cyberforce. Um, but this character is, she has gold armor, and then she has like this faceplate mask that has a skull on it that kind of looks like, um... Alright, I'm trying to remember from my reading and from my all the pouches listening. Um, so the, the cyborg who's not Psylocke in Cyberforce sometimes wears like a faceplate, I believe. I remember that. And then also there's a... I can't remember what her name is. It's not like... It's not Psyche or... Psy... Psy something or... I don't remember. Psyblade, I think, is what it is. Yes, that sounds right. And then um, also, one of, the, uh, one of the bad guys in Cyberforce is actually a really cool design. Probably an improvement on this one. Um... I believe her name is Killjoy. And she's got like a black face and like a purple face tattoo. And like a, a really big like 90's uh, Sylvester ponytail. Um, so this kind of looks like a cross between them. Um, so the, the faceplate has a skull and then the glowing eyes. And then the mouth coming out from under the faceplate. And then the flowing blonde hair. 
and then a purple trench coat and then she has two thick blades that come out of the back of her hand so and that's sorry two total one really thick blade from each hand it's a pretty cool design and you can definitely see that Sylvester enjoys drawing that kind of character and that it makes sense when he pivots into Cyberforce that he would be like yeah that's what I want to draw and he seems to really enjoy it um but yeah, it's, it looks pretty good. Uh, I like his gambit in action. Um, his hand looks great. Um, yeah, overall, um, pretty great issue. Um, Alright, so we're going to move to 56. And I believe it's entirely the same creative team. Yes, it is is um the cover this time has wolverine in ripped costume uh red background with action lines and then silver samurai trying to or wolverine and silver samurai are about to fight but mariko is between them separating them and like keeping them apart it's a pretty good cover um Probably don't like it quite as much as 55, but I still enjoy it. Alright, so in this one, uh, Wolverine battles Scylla, including a flying chainsaw, <laughs> as Gambit and Sunfire fight the hand. Uh, Matsuo observes, uh, Sunfire literally blows the roof off and ninjas scatter like cockroaches. When Gambit and Sunfire come help Wolverine, Scylla feels like the odds are not in her favor, so she escapes. Uh, meanwhile, Yukio takes Jubilee back to her minimalist flat. There's really, like, almost nothing in this apartment. Uh, they rub each other the wrong way. Um, oh, I don't mean that in a <laughs> gross way. They just, they, uh, kind of give each other a hard time, and it's, it's kind of weird, because it's not overly obvious and obviously not where it ends up. You know, it ends up in what I would consider a very normal and healthy almost big brother, little sister or uncle uh, niece kind of relationship but there's almost sense here at this point in the story that Jubilee has a thing or a crush on Logan um, which you know at her age is, is awkward to say the least but she seems to be bothered by well, she, so there was a couple issues ago in the Crunch Conundrum where she was really grossed out and disturbed by when she thought Wolverine was getting with Jean. And I kind of, at that point, just chalked it up to, ooh, that's yucky. <laughs> like, I don't want to think about my my big brother figure or my uncle figure like getting it on with one of my teammates. Like, that's that's weird. I don't like that. Um, but then there's another thing here where she kind of gets upset with Yukio, um, talking about her past relationship with Wolverine, um, and so it, it almost comes off more of a jealousy in this issue, as opposed to just kind of a, ooh, yuck, like it was in the Crunch Conundrum issues, so I don't know, I don't particularly like the idea of Jubilee having a crush on Logan, but, I mean, obviously it's never 
reciprocated or, or nothing's ever done with it. So, I mean, it's okay. I guess if she just has a crush that turns into a mutual respect later down the road. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I'd be interested in how other readers read that. So definitely uh, tweet at me or, or go on Facebook and let me know what you think. Because maybe I'm just reading it differently or maybe the, the humor of the situation is not hitting me the same way as, as it was intended. I don't know. So if you have thoughts, definitely share them with me. I would love to hear them. Um, anyway, um, so um, they kind of argue over Logan until they see police cars speed by towards the police station and Jubilee's like, oh, wait, I was supposed, that's where they're going to get me. There must be trouble there. We need to go check it out. <laughs> and I mean, I know that she called Logan and Logan said, yeah, I'll, I'll come to Japan. I'm going to pick you up. But, you know, when she was transferred and then rescued by Yukio, her first thought wasn't, I got to rush back to the police station, which, you know, maybe it wouldn't be. I, I guess she's technically an escaped <laughs> convict at this point. <laughs> runaway, runaway, um, captive. Um, so I would see why she wouldn't want to run back to the police station, but I guess I don't know if she had any indication that Wolverine had already landed in Japan, but anyway, for whatever reason, her intuition, if you will, um, she, her and Yukio are going to go check out the police station to make sure that, that Logan, if he's there, is okay. Um, so uh, we find out for sure, I think, I'm trying to remember my notes if we knew but either are reconfirmed after the the last couple issues or or find out for sure that Silver Fox is the leader of this little segment of Hydra and so they catch Reiko and um, they say they want her for her poisoning skills that's what she did for uh, the spider guy and the Yakuza um, before you know the hand um got involved um they, they talk about the uh the um the, what's that fish called the poison blowfish whatever um anyway uh sunfire lectures wolverine and gambit before flying off <laughs> and then uh silver samurai comes in and confronts mariko about leading clan Yoshida and basically says that you know she's trying to drive them into financial ruin. Uh, he unfortunately gets a little gross and talks about, you know, do you really want to be led by a woman? Which is, you know, you can say, sure, you know, Eastern patriarchal culture, but also just, you know, Silver Samurai is kind of a jerk. And so, I think he's supposed to be kind of jerky in this scene and misogynistic. Um, but yeah, and so he plays that card. Um, and basically says that she's not doing a good job and you know I, I'm trying to remember from this exact dialogue if he's in favor of them joining with the hand or feels like it's a sign of weakness that she's even talking to the hand let's see here um, it's funny he talks about you know father may have given you the, the, um, the power of the clan but he told me about some secret passageways. That's how he got in here. Um, anyway, so he comes to save the Yoshidas from the hand. 
Oh, yeah, right, right, okay. So, he, he, yeah, he views it as a sign of weakness that Mariko is even talking to the hand, even though she's been leaning towards kind of not maybe doing, finalizing a deal with them. But um, he's like, no, 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 I will be a strong leader. We don't need the hand. We don't need anyone. We can rule the Japanese underworld as intended. Um, and, you know, I mean, I guess depending on what part of the family you're in, it may be a compelling argument if you're used to lining your pockets with criminal activities, you probably are not too happy that Mariko is trying to straighten the clan out. Um, if you just happen to be in the family and you have the moral compass of not wanting to do that, um, then maybe you're like, oh no, Silver Samurai, why are you back? Um, but anyway, um, Wolverine and Gambit also show up, followed by Matsuo in the hand followed by Jubilee and Yukio. So everyone's kind of coming to the uh, Yoshida Mansion compound, uh, all coming to a head for our final issue of the arc. Um, again, art's fantastic. Story was a lot of fun. Um, so I really like that... Uh, or no, sorry. I don't really like the Sunfire costume. Um... I think I like it even less in this issue after I did in the last issue. Um, but yeah, like I said in the last issue, good to see Gambit in action by Sylvester. Good to see Wolverine and Gambit, you know, getting along for the most part. Um, but yeah, uh, another another really good issue. So that's going to take us into 57, which is Sylvester's last one. Um, I believe, again exact same creative team let me no sorry um dan green does do the inks but he also gets some help by uh, al milgram and joe rubenstein you know you can kind of tell because some of the inking is a little more solid like green really kind of helped i mean he helped define sylvester's art but he let the sketchiness kind of stay there and you can tell the pages that Green didn't ink because it's more finely inked. Uh, the lines are more... Um, well, solid. I already said that. So, <laughs> I'll quit trying to find another way to say it. Um, on the cover, we have a really cool cover. Really cool colors. Um, it's Wolverine holding uh, Mariko in his arms. Her head is tilted back. She appears to be... It, the very least unconscious. We'll find out, of course, what exactly happens. Um, but she's bathed in like a yellow-green light. And then Wolverine is looking up towards the corner. Obviously, a very grievous face. Um, he has some of the green light on him. And then the rest of him is like in purple and blue shadow. And then there's like pink and purple and black action lines in the background. This is a rad cover. It looks really, really good. Um, in my notes, I wrote, what a cover. Um, yeah, it's just it's great. All right, so this one actually has quite a bit that happens. I know the first two issues are maybe a little... They were full of great art and great pages and, and even good dialogue, but a little light on the plot. Uh, this one, it all kind of comes to a climax. So um, start off with the Ninja Battle Royale. Um, as our heroes move inside the Yoshida Mansion, uh, Mariko questions Logan's appearance. Um, basically saying, why are you here? I have not met 
and fulfilled uh, my vow of cleaning up uh, Clan Yoshida. Uh, so you're kind of, I kind of feel like if you interfere, like I've asked you not to do, you know, not only are you uh, dishonoring my wishes, like in any relationship, but also, you know, the whole, whole samurai code of, of bringing her shame um, for not letting her take care of her business. Um, <clears throat> she does, though, also pull out of a little uh, chest uh, a brown and orange Wolverine costume, uh, basically just so Sylvester can draw it one last time. <laughs> There's really no plot reason for him to change uniforms here, but um, I, I think Sylvester's like, Oh, yeah, Jim Lee's design is fine. I've, I've enjoyed it the last few issues. But um, I really, when I go out, I want to draw my, my orange and brown. So that's what he does. Um, and boy, does it look good. Um, spoiler on the art. There's a couple of just above normal good Sylvester art. Um, wow. Um, anyway, sorry. Uh, back to the, the plot. Um... So yeah, so she pulls out the costume so Sylvester can draw it one last time. And then uh, Silver Fox approaches Matsuo with the deal. And then Jubilee and Yukio head for the mansion as well. As Silver Samurai continues to verbally defame Mariko and Logan. You know, even adding to his argument now that Logan's here. Kind of to Mariko's point, they're like, see, she can't even handle it. She's getting brought out and then this outsider in. To try to help take care of the business. She not only can't do this job well. She's brought shame on the family. Blah, blah, blah. Um, and that's when Wolverine struts in. In his classic costume. And it looks great. Um, meanwhile, Raiko sneaks, in, Raiko sneaks into the mansion. As Scylla stalks Jubilee and Yukio across the rooftops. And actually, all the way through the roof of the mansions. They kind of fight on the roof. They fall through the roof into the room where everyone has kind of gathered. Um, Wolverine's kind of torn on what to do. Uh, Gambit says that he'll protect Mariko. And Wolverine go help them on the roof with the cyborg. And kind of gives his own version of a fastball special where he kind of shoots Wolverine up to the roof. Um, and we get a double snicked on an awesome page. Um, I cannot get enough of this page. It looks so, so good. I just love looking at it. Um, so yeah, he kind of like, Gambit kind of uses his power to like basically pop Wolverine up to the roof. Like he charges his fist. Wolverine steps on his hands. And he doesn't really throw Wolverine. He kind of like explodes Wolverine up to the roof. It's a, it's a pretty great page. Um, yeah, so anyway, uh, after coming into the mansion, uh, Reiko comes into the room. She enters with a proposition, uh, basically, to try to bring an end to the negotiations. Matsuo offers to buy the underworld holdings only of Clan Yoshida at fair market value, he says. But then he kind of changes his tune. So before, I think he wanted to work with the Clan Yoshida and kind of be their criminal business partners. He says, you know what? I'll buy these underworld businesses and then to honor your wishes I will break them up so you will not only be free of them and you can not only cleanse your clan without going broke but also 
you won't consider my money blood money because I'm going to kind of help you put this to bed. That sounds great, right? Um, so the only thing is his price is typical Yakuza, I guess, like shame offering. And he wants Mariko's finger. Um, basically, as kind of the, the offense and insult of not really honoring a, a, a good faith negotiation with the hand. Um, so Wolverine continues to fight Scylla above on the roof. Uh, Gambit protests the deal inside, um, but Mariko accepts it. But Silver Samurai, oddly enough, is like, whoa, 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 how do we know the blade's not poison? Would you think he wouldn't really care? He was trying to get rid of Mariko, like, literally, literally, like, two minutes ago. And, and Gambit's like, well, yeah, that worries me, too. But Reiko proves that the blade was not poisoned by cutting her own immune self. Um, you know, obviously, it is poison. That's part of the plan with Silver Fox and... Oh, Silver Fox and Silver Samurai in the same place. Um, Silver Fox and Matsuo. Um, and, of course, we learn kind of in the background, and, and I think from previous stories as well, that the, uh, the blowfish toxin that she's over time just gradually ingested small and small doses and built up an immunity. So when she uses the sword just to very gently cut herself to prove that it's not poisoned, there's no effect on her, but it obviously is poison. And as soon as it just barely breaks Mariko's skin, she can't even cut her finger off, um, she feels the poison burn into her hand. Um, and of course lets out a, a serious yell. Uh, Wolverine abandons the fight and flees to her side when he hears her um, scream, where she begs him to take her into the inner chapel, which she does, of course. Uh, but then when Reiko hears Mariko call Wolverine her beloved, she realizes that, just like when she let Jubilee go earlier, she betrayed her own debt to Logan, and maybe the sword's not poisonous, but it's still a sword, and she takes her own life, uh, I forget the word, but samurai style, where she kneels and, and falls on the sword through her chest, um, as a sign of her shame. Uh, meanwhile, in the chapel, Mariko says she's free to marry Logan now, but of course she's dying. Um, but it's okay because they've already been joined in spirit, which I thought was really sweet. Um, and then it takes a turn for the morbid um, as she asks her beloved and spirit husband uh, to spare her the painful death and use his claws instead. Um, tears in his eyes he initially protests but of course honors her last wish and that's where our story ends and it is a doozy of course obviously well maybe not obvious uh, you know if you listen to this podcast much you've, you've probably heard me say on multiple occasions Mariko is my favorite um, Wolverine romantic interest um, I feel like they had a good partnership a good understanding um, I just, I like them together. Though I was looking <laughs> at her reading order, um, you know, she had those, those issues in the, in X-Men, right? 
and then, you know, when she was introduced, and then when they were supposed to get married, and then she was a little bit, or no, she was pretty involved in the Wolverine miniseries, of course, and then here and there is really, I mean, obviously, you know, Claremont's run went so many different places, um, and the, the solo series went so many different places, really very long stints between her appearances, um, and there's really not that many. No, I was very glad she was in the movie, and like I said, she's she's my favorite Wolverine love connection. But I mean, honestly, there's not there's not a real long history. I mean, it's a deep emotional history. I mean, they almost got married for crying out loud. But um, yeah, not that many appearances, and you know, she stays dead until at least. 1997, where she appears or is listed as appearing in something called, um, what was that called? Wolverine Doom Doombringer, I think is what it was. Shoot, what was, yeah, I think so. I think that's what it's called Wolverine Doombringer or something like that, which I had never heard of until. Uh, literally today when I was looking at Mariko's reading order um so yeah I don't know if that is an actual appearance or a flashback but she is listed as being in that and that's in 97 and then she doesn't show up again until 2008 after that uh, which is which is a flashback I'm pretty sure Wolverine first class and she's also in uh, Hercules, and then, you know, in some of the la- latter issues of Old Man and Logan, and then, of course, she's in, in Dead Man and Logan as well. And that is, is kind of catches us up to mostly current time. So, yeah, her, her death lasts a good while. And it's a very poignant death, a very sad death. Obviously, you know, my personal sadness around her being my, my preference for Wolverine's love interest, but the story is very powerful. You know, the first two chapters, there's a lot going on. You know, 55 was kind of messy. 56 was a little clean, but a little sparse. But they're all really good issues. But then 57 really weighs in with the emotional aspect of the story. Um, you know, we have the conflict of, of Mariko, you know, like wondering why, Wolver- why Wolverine is here. Um, you know, the the whole clandestine thing kind of gets fleshed out even more. We see Silver Fox's power play with Hydra, and you know, at least a temporary coalition with the Hand, which will only spell trouble for Wolverine. In fact, we should see that pretty soon. Um, and then, um, yeah, at the end, you know, I. It's kind of a trope, right? The whole, like, oh, please, you know, you be the one that killed me. Why I, why I can still remember you before I, I give in to the pain and madness of this toxin. Um, but it works. It really does. It, it fits where Mariko is kind of, I don't know. It, is, it feels natural to her. You know, her wanting to handle her family business by herself and then also wanting to die with some dignity. Um, and 
<laughs> it's funny. For, for someone who's in love with Wolverine, she puts him in a lot of tough positions. <laughs> but it's okay. Love can do that sometimes, right? It's all about the togetherness and the compromise and supporting each other. And so, you know, while she asked him to pro- postpone their marriage while she could deal with her family by herself without his help, just so that she could lead the family. And then now she wants Wolverine to kill her because, um, you know, she she doesn't want to die the painful death of the of the toxin. It's, it's a really touching scene. I won't lie. I got a little choked up. And the art of it, so... You know, we see her, her writhe in pain. You know, first of all, when she grabs a sword out of Rinko's hand, or the dagger, it's really more of a dagger. I keep calling it a sword. It's really more of a long knife. Um, there's a very just determined look on her face as she decides that she's going to go through with it. Um, and then, you know, uh, the terrible pain as she realizes she's been poisoned. Um, and then her eyes, or no, sorry, that's, that's Reiko's eyes that are white because she's blinded. Um, then Wolverine cradles Mariko in his arms, takes her into the chapel where we see the picture that looks like the cover of their wedding issue. Um, remember how uh, uh, Paul Smith drew the, the invitation? Well, it looks like either the picture that was for that invitation or maybe the invitation itself is framed in Mariko's chapel. And so we see that in the foreground and behind that Wolverine cradling Mariko's dying body. Um, it's a it's a nice image, a very touching image. Um, then we see Mariko crying as she makes a, a terrible request of Logan. And we see Logan's face mostly in shadow, but a, a really stark white tear rolling down his face. And then when he says initially in protest, we get a close-up of his eye, wide with shock. Uh, green eyes, by the way, uh, this time. Uh, eyes welling with tears. Um, and then, you know, we... Uh, so, oh, by the way, uh, Yukio and Jubilee, how they defeated Scylla was they were fighting in the rain and Yukio was able to throw a shard of glass and cut like a power cable and basically short Scylla out enough that at least she felt like she... They, they basically say she crawls away on reserve power, which is such a Larry Hammond thing to say. Um, but then this last page, okay? So we have a full page splash um, with black borders and then a red long vertical panel in the middle. At the top is a dark red, like almost blood red maroon uh, with the exterior of the little chapel or altar in in black and gray and shadow uh, silhouette and then also silver samurai and gambit silhouette and then we have a kind of a cross panel making a T across the tall vertical panel so a horizontal cross panel that is just a close-up of silver samurai gambit and someone else's I don't know who that is. <laughs> Someone who's just hanging out in the background that I don't remember being in the story. 
Because um, Matsumo's out in the car. I think it's just like one of the, the Yoshida family aides. I think it's just showing that it's a relative. I don't think it really matters who it is. But anyway, he got this really touching scene. So a close-up of their faces with a snicked. And then below that, the majority of the page is Wolverine holding Mariko's dead body in his arms, cradling it. Um, his face turned towards her face. It's just, it's a really grief-stricken page. It's very, very effective. It works really well. It looks really good. Um, it just adds a really touching, sad note to the end of the story that had kind of a little bit of everything. Lots of action, um, you know, moving the plot forward. Uh, you know, great spots by Jubilee and Gambit as supporting characters for Wolverine in this arc. Um, you know, we got the hand, we got to wrap up, essentially, um, the Clan Yoshida stuff. I, you know, I, I meant to look up, and maybe I'll look up after I record, what, what Silver Samurai does next after this. I don't know, I'm trying to remember how much the family still plays into Wolverine's ongoing story, and, but I guess we will find out. No, not not right away. We're gonna we're gonna stick with the Silver Fox story for a little bit. Um, but yeah, no, I art was great. Story was a lot of fun. Different tones per issue, but all effective. I'm gonna give these three issues, which is 55 through 57, six out of six claws. And so that's gonna that is gonna do it for Sylvester. Um, I don't know if I'll necessarily say anything new that I haven't already said as we've gone through his work on the podcast, but let me just kind of recapping my my feelings. Um, it's interesting what your mind's eye holds in memory versus how you interpret things later. And what I mean by that is I think not much has changed from 13-year-old Jason to 2020 Jason um, and the fact that I still really enjoy Sylvestri a lot. But my perception of what Sylvestri did is very different now than what I remember. Because what I remember, like before I started rereading his work, both in Uncanny and in Wolverine, and before I got all these issues out, uh, my memory of Sylvestri was very serious, very realistic. For, for every reason in my head, he was closer to Jim Lee than he really is. And they are definitely in the same school of style, I think, and they have some, a lot of similarities. But they also are not as much alike as I remember. Um, and people may disagree with that, and that's fine. Um, but he's... Well, anyway, so so back to what I thought back then. So I thought he was really, really realistic, really serious, like 90s serious art. Um, really sexy. I remember that in my head. Like, just that he, he really... Really, uh... I like to draw the hubba hubba women. <laughs> and then, 
Yeah, so that's kind of what I remembered. What I found to be more of the truth this time around is while I love his art, it's really pretty sketchy. And in a good way. And also, he really plays with style and proportion in a way that's different from some of his peers. Um, you know, talk about the times where sometimes the feet are really long and almost, almost flipper-like, you know, like in jumping shots and stuff. And, you know, bodies can sometimes V down, right, uh, with the legs and stuff. And it's all very effective and really enjoyable, but it's, it's really not very realistic. <laughs> so I, I guess maybe my ideas of what comic art how that portrays realism have changed over the years because I really really see it as a very sketchy art style very dynamic and very emotionally effective and, and with really good action um, but realistic is not a word I would necessarily use his art is also not as serious and what I mean by that is that it's not like all dark and gritty and fighty all the time because he actually has a pretty good sense of humor visually um, you know we've talked about that, about that off and on through his issues um, almost Looney Tunes-esque in places with you know sound effects and onomatopoeia and visual puns and you know for whatever reason in my head I just pictured Silvestri oh I I made Witchblade and it's a grim, gritty, serious '90s book that's just TNA and whatever. And no, actually, he looked like he was having a blast at Marvel, especially. But you know, thanks to all the pouches and looking at some early Cyberforce issues, that's still there. Um, you know, the uh, the Blitzkrieg uh, character. Uh, early in Cyber Force is like a like a German Siamese twin type character. Um, you know, maybe he's not as good at writing humor as some of the guys he worked with, but it's, it's definitely there. And uh, Strike Force also has some humor. I know um, he wasn't as heavy into that, you know, Brandon Peterson doing the art, and I think uh, Eric Silvestri did a lot of the writing, I think Mark still did, anyway, another great discussion on all that, on all the pouches, but for this, this podcast, um, <laughs> yeah, um, man, uh, was like, yeah, so anyway, he just had, had a much better sense of humor than I remembered, um, had a lot more fun visually, it's not all serious all the time. He does serious well, right? Like when Wolverine was almost crucified. Like he can draw dark, gritty stuff and really badass scenes really well. But he can also have a lot of fun. Um, uh, you know some of the Inferno stuff that he drew, like with the almost Ghostbustery type, uh, you know, visual puns. Um, it's, it's really, really fun. And, you know what? I mean, he definitely drew attractive women as far as comic characters go. But the over-sexualization I associate with him, and particularly 
you know, like I said, Witchblade, and even, even somewhat, you know, pretty early on in Cyberforce. Um, and it's really something he did later. Like I said, I mean, it's not, it's not completely absent. He doesn't shy away or, or like intentionally. I don't, well, anyway, he doesn't shy away from it. There's, there's attractive women and sometimes you know sexy poses, in his Marvel work, but it's not nearly as exploitative feeling, as, you know, some of his later image work might be, or, and even really maybe not as much him as just kind of what you associate with Top Cow in general. Um, you know, as much as I enjoy Michael Turner, um, you know, he definitely, <laughs> definitely liked to draw the uh, the sexy babes and, and the boobs and the ass and, and all that stuff that he drew, uh, and particularly, uh, you know, when he was on Which Blade himself and then, of course, in Fathom. Um, but, but he's a great artist still, as well. Um, you know, some of the stuff he did later in his career, uh, cover work for DC and Marvel uh, was just mind-boggling good. Um, but anyway, I, I guess my point is that that there were times, right? Uh, Inferno, which I just mentioned, is a good example. Like, he definitely, he, had, he drew the Madeline Pryor costume <laughs> in all this underboob glory, and um, he, he didn't shy away from it, but it just, I don't know. Maybe it's because of who was writing, or maybe it's because of the comics code. I don't know, but he just he didn't lean into the over-sexualization of women until later. And so it actually made for a pretty good balance. So like characters being, you know, good-looking and, and, you know, his guys being buff and muscular as well. But I don't know. All that to say, I really, really enjoyed rereading Sylvester's Marvel work. Like, I liked it a lot. Um, you know, there were a couple of times where it made me bordered on being too loose, but overall, really, really enjoyed it. I'm going to be sad to see him go. Um, you know, we're not too, 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 too far away from another Wolverine great, um, but it, we're still a little ways off from that. Uh, we got a couple of, of artists of various degrees uh, between now and then. Um, Actually, it's, it's probably longer than I remember. Looking through covers now is is a good ways off. <laughs> not not a long, long time, but not a short time either. Um, but yeah, we'll talk about one of those guys here in just a second with some bonus coverage. But you know, all in all, I would say Sylvester's Wolverine career, from X Men to the solo book. And part of me wants to say it's six out of six claws. Um, I know I did not give every single issue that he drew six out of six claws. So we'll just say, for the sake of argument, that my enjoyment of his artistic career at Marvel, particularly concerning that of our our titular Wolverine, is a very solid five out of six claws. Um, I would say he's one of the most influential Wolverine artists of all time, probably. You can argue whether he's your favorite or the best, but definitely his impact on the character is huge. Um, you know, the way he drew the costume, um, the way he drew Wolverine's face and hair, uh, you know, him and Jim Lee kind of redefined for generations, not redefined, 
more tightly defined. Um, you know, some of the ways to draw, you know, Logan's look. Um, you know, he really... Um, sorry. You know, the way he drew the claws. Uh, you know, though I've noticed, not as consistent as I remembered in drawing them bladed. He did sometimes do the more pokey claws, but he then they looked really good. But he definitely was one of the one of the guys, you know, him and Frank Miller, and then, you know, Jim Lee someone as well, who really made the like the, the thick bladed claws like almost like little swords. You know, really brought that home and, and you know, I, I've mentioned before that's kind of my preferred I don't think it's the most realistic or the one that works the best biologically, but and especially once you know, you know, bone claws because they would have had it wouldn't be a straight coat on the adamantium, right? It would have had to have been fashioned around the bone claws to look like blades. But but visually it's my favorite look. And and Sylvester is a big part of of keeping that in the image, um, and in the dress of Wolverine. So very, very, very influential and we'll we'll be very sad to not see him anymore on on the books. So, like I said, if you want to follow Sylvester's career some more, uh, hop on over to all the pouches and you can hear John Wilson talk about Cyberforce. Alright, so, we're going to talk just briefly about Wolverine 58 and 59. Um, this is guest, guest galore on the creatives. So, um, 58... Is uh, what's it called? Is it Monkey Wrenching, uh, written by D.G. Chichester, art and pencils. I'm sorry, by Derek Robertson, inks by Joe Rubenstein, letters by Pat Brousseau, colors by Arian or Arian. Um, now we're in the middle of summer of '92 with the double shipping. Uh, Larry Hammond needed a break to catch up. Obviously, Sylvester just left. So we have a guest writer and a guest artist. And all the credits for 59 are the same. So, Derek Robertson, who we've had on the podcast with the recent issue 55, The Shattered Star Story. And it was kind of a another break story. Um, the cover of 58, I do not really like. Um, basically, we have Wolverine in front yelling at the camera with his claws out. We have a guy who on the cover is called Along Comes Terror. Um, he kind of looks like a zombie Freddy Krueger, but he's got like three spiky whiskers coming out of each side of his face. And then he has a cyborg left hand. And he's all like in a black wide-brimmed hat and trench coat. Um, and we have a very old-looking Jubilee on the other side of Wolverine. I would say the best part of this cover is probably Jubilee's fireworks. Uh, they didn't ink them, so it's just color smears. It looks really cool. Other than that, I don't care for the cover. The art in the inside is fine. So we kind of miss an opportunity here, right? So the premise of the story is that there's this guy who comes to the mansion to see Professor X and he's heard Professor X has certain connections, and he's hoping the professor can help him find his daughter. 
who he feels like has been kidnapped by this group she fell in with, the Nature Defense League, uh, an eco-terrorist group. And he's afraid that, you know, they've kidnapped his daughter or brainwashed her or whatever. And Professor X is like, well, I don't know what you've heard, but I don't have real connections. I just had this school and my students. I think you should probably embrace the appropriate authorities. But Wolverine overhears it and he sneaks in and he the the dad had left his scrapbook on uh, Professor X's desk. And so Wolverine finds the page of some hair, smells it, picks up the scent, and grabs Jubilee says we're going on a mission. And so the beginning of this is not bad because it kind of plays off, right? Like uh, Chichester, who, we, by the way, Grant and I covered a pretty not great story in Ages of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, that featured Wolverine. But his Daredevil run is not bad, which is kind of concurrent to this, leading up to, to issue 300 and, and the, the fall of the Kingpin, or one of the, one of the falls of the Kingpin. Um, you know, it's a, it's a pretty good little story, helped out a lot by Lee Weeks. But, um, you know, I don't know. But yeah, no, this one, um, this is a leftover idea for sure. But it starts off kind of strong as Wolverine, you know, not only is he like, well, I'm the loner on the team, and, you know, I can help out even Professor X turning the guy down because I'm kind of rogue. But also, he talks about kind of the emotional state that he's in having just lost Mariko. Now he's more inclined and feeling more compassionate about this guy's strife because he knows he's afraid of losing his daughter and he's thinking about how he just lost Mariko. And and that builds up a really nice emotional tie into the story that is really completely vomited on by a bunch of nonsense. <laughs> so basically, Wolverine and Jubilee go undercover as brother and sister, and they're going to try to infiltrate this Nature Defense League. It doesn't go very well. Um... And they, they see this guy who's going to put grenades in the bulldozers of these deforestation guys, uh, who is the dad's company. So he feels like his daughter was protesting. So the daughter was protesting the dad because she didn't like the dad's business. And he thinks that the uh, the NDL then like, took her in, recruited her because she had similar values, and then kidnapped her to basically get her dad to quit. Um, Wolverine and Jubilee attack him. They interrogate him. Then he kills himself on a metal shard before giving any information. So that doesn't really work. But they get a scent. And Wolverine calls in this guy he knows, Terror, who's a mercenary, whose power is interesting in that he can like reattach dead body parts to himself and absorb like their memories and if they had them, powers. Again, an interesting idea. Visually, he looks a little better in the book than he does on the cover, but not, he's still weird. Like he's, still, he's a weird design, but intentionally so. Um, you know, he takes an, the eyeball off of this guy that, that Wolverine was trying to interrogate and basically can see what he saw, including the girl, um, you know, being held hostage and the leader and all that. Um, 
Again, not a bad idea. It just gets really silly really fast. Um, so they fight this guy, Monkey Wrench, not the Dreadnought, unfortunately. It'd be cooler if he was a Dreadnought from G.I. Joe, Monkey Wrench. Um, but no, it is... Uh, what do they call it? Um, his team is... He has Pick Axis, which is a trio of women with Pick Axis, but they're called Pick Axis, like A-X-I-S. Um, then he has Little Paul and Little Bunyan, who are two uh, dwarves with a big saw, like a big ribbon saw, I guess. And then he's Monkey Wrench. It's, it could be a fun idea. It doesn't work. We do get a really cool panel, though, of Wolverine in a white background jumping out of a purple circle. Um, I'll try to take a picture of it. These these issues are not on Marvel Unlimited. But, but then Monkey Wrench also has, like, these railroad spikes and he hammers them with a sledgehammer and then they blow up. It's weird. It's kind of dumb. So they fight these guys, but they get away because he, he hammers a spike into Wolverine's chest, and of course he's going to blow up, right? Um, so then 58, the cover is very much like, hey, T2, um, there's Wolverine with a short haircut and a leather jacket and sunglasses and a big old chin and a very uh, Austrian-looking face. He's got his hand held up with his claws popped. It looks very much like Terminator 2. Very, very much. <laughs> so, uh, basically, they put Wolverine in, in a frozen lake and try to slow down his, his healing factor and to slow down the, the bomb spike. Somehow they do it. Um, they, they get it out and they get away, but of course it blows up. Uh... Wolverine decides he's going to go undercover, but he's afraid they'll recognize him, even though he was in his friggin' costume with his cow, both when he fought the guy who's dead and can't share any information, but also in the morgue when they fought uh, the NDL, he was in his mask. Let me see, maybe it falls off. No. No, no, it doesn't. He's in his mask. But for whatever reason, he feels like he needs to cut his hair so they don't recognize him. And he does. And there's actually a, a slightly funny scene where Jubilee's like, oh, you missed a spot. And he goes snicked with one claw and cuts it off. So you know that he gave himself a haircut with his claws. That's kind of funny. Um, then we get a lot of just really... You know, it's... it's interesting because 90s comics <laughs> sometimes the politics aren't bad but the, the issues are bad so I mean the idea of these guys and the dialogue around like preserving the forest I would you know tend to agree with some of it but then you have these really over the top eco-terrorists who and see they're trying to wonder what the writer's trying to say so and these guys are obviously bad guys. So then is he is the writer siding with the view of big business? Or is he siding with the view of nature? Or is he trying not to take a side? Um, 
Because he paints the, the business in a not positive light either. Like, hey, you shouldn't cut down all these trees. There's reasons people are protesting you. But then these these eco guys are so over-the-top evil that obviously they're the bad guys, so it kind of invalidates their opinion as well. You're kind of left not really knowing what the writer's trying to say, and maybe that's intentional. Maybe he was trying to be neutral or not make a statement. I don't know. But it just kind of comes off as, as weak sauce. Um, and not really having much point to the story because there's no real motivation for why we're reading this story. <laughs> but anyway, uh, eventually, you know, Wolverine pops his claws. Wolverine makes a comment about his healing factor because his hair is starting to just barely grow back. Um, they save the daughter. They save the day. Monkey Wrench dies. And, and Wolverine gives a very kind of awkward alright keep in line I like the trees too I'll be keeping an eye on you yeah so the art on these is not bad Derek Robertson's art overall is actually pretty good some of it better than other parts um, but you know it's okay <laughs> actually uh, there's actually quite a bit in 59 that's very generic and boring. Um, 58 was better. But I could not get into the story at all. Um, you know, like I said, started off with this nice premise of Wolverine kind of going on a weird tangent mission because he had an emotional connection to the loss that the father was afraid of feeling with his recent loss. Um, it just doesn't really connect to the rest of the story. It's like, it's like as soon as he grabs Jubilee and leaves, like that doesn't matter anymore. And then, like I said, I, I don't mind a comment dealing with issues, but to deal with it so blandly and with such bad dialogue um, makes it kind of a chore to read, even if you agree with parts of it. Um, so it just wasn't fun. Um, so yeah, I don't really want to say much more. Um, I'm going to give Wolverine 58 and 59 two out of six claws each so there you go so next up will be more uh ten of swords coverage with uh escalabros dan and georgie and then i'm going to maybe try a little something so if you if the next couple of flashbacks are really have a lot of material there's a point to, excuse me there's a point to that and not just that i'm trying to get through stuff, and I'm maybe trying to get to something by a certain time. I'm not sure it's even possible, but I can't really say much more about it. <laughs> but I am, you know, gonna gonna give it a shot and see if I can do that. So if the next couple of flashback episodes are pretty full, um, and I've maybe changed some plans on some of those, is um, that's why. So. Anyway, um, as always, for the podcast that goes snit, you can like the Facebook page. Twitter is at snitcast. Show notes and stuff are at snitcast.podbean.com. Don't forget that I'm participating in Crossing Swords, which um, I know this is a flashback episode, but for current comics, uh, the current event is Ten of Swords for X-Men and Dawn of X. Um, and I was on the Alpha episode for Crossing Swords 
and will be on a, a issue or episode, sorry, of Homo Superior later. And the other uh, great pod, X-Men podcasts involved with that are, uh, of course, Homo Superior, who kind of put it together, myself, uh, X-Reads, Comic Book Queers, and House of X. So, definitely check that out. Check all those shows out. And check out Scalabros, who will be covering it, uh, Tender Swords of Me. And, you know, give all that a nice check out. Tell them I sent you. And, um, yeah. So, that's going to do it. Alright? So, until next time, everybody, hugs and snicks. Bye-bye. And snacked.